How many bites does it take to get to the center of an enemy's heart? One, two, three. The world may never know. <laughs> well, welcome to another episode of the Adventures of the Yellow Barrel. <laughs> Magical Negro. Today we're just going totally off the wall with it. <laughs> I mean, so, we're doing new things. You we all, start with yeah. advice. Yeah. That's you yeah. know we're helping better the world. Yeah. Um. So uh, let's go through all of our checklists. Now we got a checklist. We're so good. I know we're fancy and inspired by Nergasm Ner- Noir. We have like a checklist for episodes now. Okay, we have a blog. It's yellowperilmagicalnegro.wordpress.com. Look at that. Oh. It has a list of all our episodes, and I endeavor to keep it up to date and have notes for them, but sometimes I fall behind. Um, you know, we all try our best. That's all we can do. Uh, we write enough already. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have our SoundCloud, where you're probably listening to us, which is uh, SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Y-E-L-O-S-O-N. And uh, you can send email to us now that I fixed the forwarding and we actually received the email. Woohoo! Um, Negro at gmail.com. Look at that. Isn't that fancy? Um, and well, pretty soon we cannot use an AOL desk. I know. Um, and soon there will be other social media stuff that we are working on right now. And that will hopefully be coming in the next, you know, few weeks when we have time. We're both yeah. busy people. Those enemies' hearts don't bite themselves. They don't bite themselves. So many to eat. <laughs> um, so our first thing is... This is my shit. This is my shit. Uh, so, geeky news we're excited about. You want to start it off? Um, I will start it off. I, the public, I mean, I mentioned in the last podcast, but the public announcement of my book deal finally Yay! happened, and it was super exciting. And I have a trilogy that's going to come out from Nightshade Books, and that's very exciting. And the first one will be out in June 2016. And it's all very terrifying, which goes with our theme today, which is Nightmare Fuel. Um, And so that feels like my life right now. (laughs) But that's a good thing. Um, I also am intending to start doing some video reviews Mm. entitled Magical Negro Reviews. Um, I'm hoping to have the first one up before this podcast goes up, but this is also, like, the pressure of, like, I've said it out loud, so it has to happen. Um, Get out in the next, like, couple weeks, right? Yeah, so, well, no, I want to do it now, because the rage is thick with me. Um, So usually it'll be geek shit, but the first one will probably be Magic Mike XXL, Mm, because I have a lot to say about that movie. It's not good. Um... But yeah, that is the geeky shit that I... It's all involving me. I'm very self-centered this week. Well, I, okay. You know, I, I am beautiful, and I acknowledge that. Treat yourself. <laughs> Treat yourself 2011. So, uh, exciting thing. Tonight, actually, Rick and Morty come back. Oh, I'm very excited I'm about this. I'm able to see this, but I will find a way. Access will be made. Yes. I love Rick and Morty. I love, love, love that cartoon. Why Why do we not live in a world where Rick and Morty plays at the same time we get new Invader Zim episodes? Oh. Like, why couldn't that have happened? That's well, I, I mean, Rick and Morty is such... I, I really like Dan Harmon. I've, uh, I've been a big fan of Community for the first four seasons. Maybe five. Um, first three, for sure. 
But I love Rick and Morty, despite the fact that Rick and Morty has some problematic elements. We're not denying that. Um, yep. But I love that cartoon. It is ridiculous. So. It's yeah. like someone took every, like, science fiction trope, mashed it all together, dunked it in alcohol, coated it in LSD, and shoved it down Rick's throat. Yeah. And that became the show. And I was like, all right. I'm just going to watch this and be very intense. Yeah, Rick and Morty is really entertaining. I'm, I'm, it'll be fun to see what they do next. Oh, my God. Apparently, the first two episodes leaked online. Oh, but well, yay. I have something to do tonight. All I right. know, but I was, like, lazy and I didn't want to do it. So I was like, ah, maybe I'll look tonight. Um, uh, but yeah. that's exciting. Uh, I started watching this new anime. And it's only I'm only a few episodes in, so it's at that. We'll see how this goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's called... Uh, Raka no Yusha. Okay. Um, so basically you have a fantasy world, and as far as I can tell, all the architecture looks Mayan. Mm-hmm. Of course, the characters don't look Mayan, but, uh, they have this thing where there's a demon god who shows up, I don't know, every 500 years or something, and six people are chosen to go fight it. Ooh. And it's not like people, it's not like they say, oh, it's definitely you. Like, you wake up and you've got like a, um, like a flower... Uh, burned in somewhere on your body, like a flower image on your body. Mm-hmm. And basically, you're one of the people fated to go fight it. And what's interesting about it is, um, one, it's that, uh, you know, it's it's definitely going to be a uh, assortment of characters, not like just the dude mm-hmm. who does everything. There's a couple awesome women characters. It's anime, so the women are hypersexualized. Yeah. But, you know, I kind of put it at, say, on a scale of 1 to 5, 2.5 in the hypersexualization. Like, it's not, like, incredible ass shots and titty jiggles all the time. And they do get to fight in some awesome ways. Okay. So, that seems really interesting. Um, and it's also, the thing I like is that the main dude, despite the fact he's always bragging that he's the strongest guy in the world, he always, he always fights dirty. And it actually makes sense, because apparently the dude who mentored him was, uh, had fought demons before, and basically told him, yeah, here's how you fight demons. You cheat every fucking step of the way. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense to me. Cheat when you fight demons, because fuck them. Yeah. Right? Like, Why would you be fair? Right. And so it's funny, because he wins all his fights by cheating. And it's sort of like, it's very, it's not the usual anime hero in that regard. So that's kind of fun. Okay. Um. Yeah. Oh, uh, let's oh, see. Oh. I forgot to mention Wovable Oaf. Tell Which me about this. oh my god I love this comic so much and uh, it is called Wovable Lovable with a W Oaf and it is the story of um, Oaf who is a giant hirsute gay man with pink eyes and pink teeth okay. who owns a multitude of cats and falls in love with a heavy metal singer named Eiffel who sings in a band called Ejaculoid. (laughs) And it is one of those indie comics that you, it's like disgusting at times and hilarious and critical of like culture. And it's just, it's so good. He makes dolls. Oaf makes dolls that look like little gremlins that are stuffed with his own hair. The one superpower he might have is he's able to make his hair grow at will. So he shaves himself every morning and stuffs the dolls with him. Unbeknownst to him, the dolls are animate and evil. Because of all the good he puts in the world, that's the balance. What? This makes me think of 
there was a comic you loaned me the year when I was fighting cancer, um, which was uh, like an image comic that had like weird sex cult. Like it was a futuristic. There's some futuristic shit. There was a sex cult. Ah, fuck! I'm trying to remember what this Mm. was. It was like kind of square shaped. Like it wasn't the normal comic. Oh, oh, oh! Was it the one? Um, um, um. Our love is real. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love that comic. Our Love is Real, if you guys have not read it, is like a one-shot comic about a world where they um, there are protesters who are protesting that they are crystal sexual or rock sexual. I can't remember the term yeah, used it was in the comic. Yeah, like that. Um, and they're being broken up by riot cops because that is an inaccept- unacceptable sexuality. Um, the main riot cop is in love with a dog, which is acceptable. Um, because dogs are at least mammals. And there's just a whole lot of, like, ridiculous critique of society and, like, the things that we put on sexuality and the ideas that we put on sexuality. Wolfable Oaf has some of the same things. It's fantastic. Um, he has one cat called Pavel, the special needs cat, who you just know is sort of violent and is locked in a room by himself. And eventually you get shots from Pavel's point of view and you realize that to Pavel the world is a Geiger-esque nightmare where things spear each other and bloody explosions happen all the time unless Oaf is holding him. Wow, this sounds like that episode, the Halloween episode of Invader Zim. It, it's Except got... it's a cat permanently stuck there. Like, well, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's one of those indie comics in which you have this semi-normative, like, romantic love story happening Although I love that, like, Eiffel is fucking every member of his band, and it's, like, this interesting poly first date thing. But in notes to that, in between that are, like, one-shots and specials. There's a one-shot that's set far in the future in San Francisco, <laughs> where um, felinoid, felinoid beings are in charge, and Oaf has been cloned from a hairball passed down from cat to cat for generations, and they view him as their savior from the evil mutant dogs. Who are attacking from Sausalito. Like, it's just amazing. So part of what's got me cracking up is the Oid. Just because I remember the first time I encountered that was the last Starfighter. And the alien shows a picture of his family. This is my wife Oid. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, wife Oid. Felinoid. <laughs> yeah. um, but yes, I love Wobble Oaf. It's by Ed Luce. They just collected the first um, four issues and a bunch of, like, the small, like, one-shots, the annuals and all those um, in a collection for Fantagraphics comics, so you can pick that up oh, today. Oh, Fantagraphics. See, that explains everything. Yeah. Like, <laughs> is this shit so weird? You're like, what? Fantagraphics. Oh, okay. I, I see what's going on here. And there's, like, a fabulous, um, special edition, like, with a case and everything that I want, but I can't afford. Um, because I'm po. Yeah. But, you know, one day. One day. Um, so the other thing I wanted to talk about was the Psychopath movie. Uh, I've actually been showing one of my friends... Live action? No, it's gonna be, it's gonna be animated. Okay. Which, I'm actually more in favor of, I don't really think most anime going to live action really works. Um, I still haven't seen, um, the live action Attack on Titan or the live action Parasite. Well, they're still still doing the live action Attack on, like, they... Are they? They They haven't haven't really come out yet. Oh, the Parasites 1 and 2 are out, though, and I haven't watched them yet, because I need to still finish the anime first. Well, at least the anime is that one season. It's not yeah. like, like two hundred episodes. Yeah. Um, but uh, Psychopaths, 
it's it's really interesting because the first season's like 24 episodes, the second season's only 11 episodes, and then they're doing the movie. And you know, I'll say this forever, but like Akane, who is the main character in Psychopath, she's just awesome. Like she is, she makes Batman look stupid. So <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah. So should we go into topic? Okay, so our main topic today is nightmare fuel. Yes, all the stuff that fucks with your head. Oh, as a child, as a grown-up, so many things. Um, so, like, the, I'm going to say the first, the author that came to mind for me, and it maybe is not an obvious author, Okay, but I feel like people of my generation know this author well. Not R.L. Stein, which I feel like is everyone's automatic go-to. Uh-huh. But Christopher Pike. Oh, jeez. Okay. Do you remember Christopher Pike? I didn't really read his books, but basically I remember oh. my friends who did were just like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck is happening? <laughs> Listen, I, the thing is, the fact that I could still recount at least a dozen plots for you from Christopher Pike novels, because they're that ingrained in my head. Like, he would have fucked up shit, like the Chain Letter movie. Where a group of, or the chain letter book series, where a group of friends accidentally run over someone in the desert and bury his body, and then they start getting letters that are like, I know what you did, do this if you want to survive. So he starts making them two things, like drown their newborn puppies, or like, get your father's gun, cut off your trigger finger, put the trigger finger in the gun and deliver it to this next person. And like, people start to do it because the first two refuse and they end up dead. So like, everyone's like, well, I'm gonna do this fucked up shit. It was Christopher Pike would take you on a journey that was, like, so fucked up. I tried not to read the ones that had anything to do with Africa or, like, visiting other cultures. He didn't do those often. Okay. His last vampire series, which they've just reprinted in, like, a more saucy YA form, which makes no sense considering the series, um, does have the blonde girl from India, which I always, even as a child, was like, I feel like... This girl who meets Krishna, uh, and like I'm pretty sure Krishna's a vampire, I think, or he's the one who heals her from being a vampire. I can't quite remember; it's been years, but it was just a lot I remember as a child. See, it's funny because like I think most of my nightmare fuel came from shit that shouldn't be nightmare fuel. Like, oh, like uh, Star Trek Two, the fucking earworms gave me oh. nightmares, and and it's funny because I watched that back to back with Road Warrior. And I was only six years old. So people getting shot in the face with a shotgun, no problem. The fucking earworms, ah, nightmares. Like, oh, wow, oh, God. I, yeah, I don't like things in my ears. That freaks me out. Oh, I can the, see that. The weird, uh, the eater things from Beastmaster. Oh, Beastmaster. Yeah. Okay, I feel like I can't be with you on this only because the only things I vaguely remember about Beastmaster is his thighs. Well, and so I'm like, so you have good memories. I had, I had I'm different just gonna tell focuses. You, there's a monster that is fucked up, and when, like, I remember seeing as a kid, like, it would wrap people up, and it, like, you'd see them struggling, and then it would open up, and bones would, it would just dissolve them instantly. You know, it's just like, hmm, I could do with that power. Oh God, but um, well, but like we said, those enemies' hearts aren't just going to eat themselves. Not just right? going to eat themselves. Um, other nightmare fuel that I had, per- oh, so there's a horror author. Um, I'm sure a lot of people remember, like, the 90s horror, horror had a huge surge in the 90s. It sure did. Like, a lot of authors were getting published, they were getting a lot of books out. 
Um, I mean, I think eventually we'll get to Stephen King because he does a lot of Nightmare Fuel. You know, he never really pushed me for Nightmare Fuel. Mm. What he did for me was just like, it made me anger fuel. Because see, be, his people would do stupid shit. I see. I think the only one that gave me Nightmare Fuel was It. Because I read It as a well, very, at okay. a very young age. And I have issues with spiders now. Um, and clowns. Because I feel like everyone should have issues with clowns. I feel like that should be a natural reaction. Some creepy mofo has come into your garden and has painted his face and has balloons. And I don't want it. Yeah. Um, but speaking of horror, horror writers, there were a bunch that like really had a presence in the 90s. And the one I remember is Bentley Little. I never read this book, so... Oh, bless you. Bentley Little was horrible. Um, This was in the period in my life where I would just read anything that sounded vaguely interesting. Mm -hmm. And so I was less discerning, and so I read a book by Bentley Little called The University. See, the more natural-sounding the the more <laughs> fucked up you know it's going to be. You're just like, oh, that sounds good. Co- oh, what did I fucking read? What did I get into? It's basically that, like, some universities and places have personalities, and most of them are good, but some of them are evil. And, like, they influence the people. And let me tell you, by the time I realized that what I got myself into, there was, like, a rape that had happened mm-hmm. um, to a lesbian character who then went on a rampage of killing every man she saw across the campus, which was something I could sort of get behind. And then there was, like, this weird... I'm not even going to describe the scene because I feel like it would take it would take so many trigger warnings to the audience, but let's just say it was a bodily rape involving uh, people who did not consent and were young. Like, uh. Bentley Little... Like, I don't even remember, like, I don't remember why I finished that book. Like, I don't remember being in that time in my life where I'm like, I'm just going to finish this. Because I feel like now, had I gotten two chapters in, I would have been like, ooh. Um, But at the time I finished that book, it was the only book by him I ever read. And it was literally, I think, the only book that ever gave me real nightmares. Like, I woke up screaming because I was, I think I read it right before I went to university, too. And I was like, this is just going to be a horror show. Okay, so here's a different nightmare fuel. When I was a kid, my parents got those big time life books that had all the science shit. Mm-hmm. And one of them was the one of the mind, which meant it also had all the disturbing imagery from folks who were losing their minds and like Ooh. stuff like here's someone who is not physically blind. Like they can't see anything because there's something malfunctioning in their brain. But if you ask them to walk down a hallway, they can avoid all the objects even though they can't see anything. Mm. And so, like, I was reading that, you know, reading all this, and I'm, like, reading way above my age level, right? Yeah. But it really disturbed me because I was just, like, you know, it's the idea of losing your sense of self. That mm-hmm. was just, like... And, of course, then when you have it next to the Bosch paintings, where everyone's impaled with, like, freaking sea urchins, I was just, like, what am I... You know, yeah, that was nightmare fuel for me. So... Educational, but nightmare. There are a series of books that I can't, I can't remember the titles, but they were all around when I was young in, you know, 19 burger. Um, and it's something like scary stories for children, scary stories around the campfire. I can't remember. What I do remember are two very specific stories from these collections involving bugs that stayed with me to this day. 
Number one was, and I think sort of these stories were meant to be based on like urban legends or maybe, I just feel like I've heard this a lot of times, but I remember one of them was about the girl who had like a lump on her cheek that like just kept growing and growing and growing until one day, like when she was in the bathtub, it exploded and like spiders came streaming out because an egg sac had been laid in her. I was like, nope, nope. This another reason why I don't like nature and why I think it all should die. Um, and the other one was about this boy and his ant farm. And he would like sort of torture the ants. Like he would drop water in there or like orange soda and shit. And the ants would start to dig tunnels that spelled things. Oh, like man. how they hated him and stuff. And I can't even remember how that story ended. All I remember is, like, the ants started to form things, and I was like, this is too much for me. I feel done with this. But those books were hugely popular. They got passed around. I'm vaguely remembering. So back in, like, I think the late or mid-80s, Marvel had an imprint called Epic. Mm -hmm. And it was mostly fantasy, but I think they did a couple, like, horror things. And this would all be in, like, black and white... And one of the war comics I remember reading um, was, like, an anthology. Like, there's a whole bunch of short stories. And one of them, like, this guy, basically, he's he's seeking this necklace that gives you eternal life. Okay, so he goes through a bunch of shit. He fucks over a bunch of people. He's on a, you know, he's on a boat, and the boat, like, you know, gets wrecked at sea. But he's got the necklace, so he's like, yeah, I get to live forever. And he's like, he washes up on shore, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, cool, I'm just gonna rest for a bit, and then I'll get up and do stuff, right? Uh-oh. Turns out, uh, the problem is, he's dead, but he's aware. He can't move. It's just that his soul can't leave because the necklace is on. Oh, shit. And it's fucked up because he basically ends up rotting into a skeleton, and kids are playing on the beach, but he's almost entirely covered by sand, so it's like they don't even see him, and he's just sitting there thinking, please take this off. Someone find me and take it off. And I was just like, uh... So that's dark. It's dark, but if nothing else, at least as a kid, I was like, "Eternal life." Maybe check all the restrictions before you apply. Right? This is true. This is very true. Um, I'm trying to think of what other things like were nightmare fuel for me as a child. God, oh God, I have a good one. Uh oh, Jesus! On the space night, there's the dire wraiths. Oh, the things that could take the form of anything, and then By, like they, but they had. They had, like, the snail tongues that would drill. Yeah. And they'd drill into your head, and your body would wither, and then they would take your form. Well, that sort of links into the movie I was just thinking of. Um, Oh, and I'm going to totally space on the name. It's okay. It's something like They're Alive, or They Live. They Live. okay. Rowdy Roddy McDowell. And they live. Do you remember this movie? I didn't see it. I didn't watch a lot of horror movies. Oh my god. So my mother was obsessed with some horror films when I was growing up. And so I saw a lot of them. And I also saw a lot of Twilight Zone, which we'll get back to in Uh, a second. Well, yeah. Twilight Zone's always a head fuck. Um, But this movie is... And I only vaguely remember, but what it is, is Roddy Rowdy McDowell, who was a wrestler, ends up with a pair of sunglasses that allow him to like sort of see the truth. Um, and see that humanity's been infiltrated by, like, all these aliens that are, like, newscasters and they're this. And they all sort of look like humans, but without the skin and blue muscles and, like, bug eyes. And it's just a lot of shit happening. 
And I remember not trusting people for so long after that. Well, you know what? At least that's when you're young. That wasn't like a conspiracy theory you decided to develop into old age. That's true. That's true. I don't believe in pod people now. Although I always suspect. I feel like suspicion is what makes us survive as, you know, marginalized folks. And the unfortunate part is you cannot disprove, you cannot prove a negative, right? So exactly. Like, well, there's always the chance. <laughs> always the ch- it's Even if the chance is point point zero 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 one percent still, always a chance. Yeah. So, Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. Here are the things. I remember the episode that freaks me out the most about Twilight Zone. And let's... Twilight Zone's a classic. It's a great series. It's a great mindfuck. Like, lots of good social commentary. Lots of good social commentary. I love The Outer Limits, too, which not everyone shares. But Twilight Zone, the doppelganger episode. Oh, I'm trying to remember that. Do you remember it? Oh, my God. So this is the episode about the two people who meet at the bus stop, right? And the woman is telling him this story about, like, how a doppelganger from another universe is, like, trying to take over her life, and, like, this shit is going down, and blah, blah, blah. And it's one of those dark, terrifying episodes, but it's all sort of told, and you're just like, holy shit. And you see the flashbacks, and blah, blah, blah. It's when it ends. And what it ends on is that he sees her off on her way. I feel like something dark happens to her on the way, like, her duplicate is on the same bus or something fucked up. Um, But then you hear footsteps running away and he turns and what you see is his own duplicate running away with his briefcase with all his identification in it. Whoops. And you're just like, what in the hell? It, that episode, like, that straight up gave me nightmares. That was just um, horrifying. Mm. Twilight Zone as a show was just like, a twist-the-knife sort of show. Should we go into stuff a little more modern? Sure. Paranoia Agent. I hate you for this, mo- this still. I so, didn't show it to you. Not my fault. It, it's all it's all Yellow Peril's fault. Not so Yellow Peril kept telling me about Paranoia Agent. You have to watch it. It's amazing. It's interesting. It's great. And then I got sick, and I was... This was when we still lived together... And I was very medicated, and I was looking for something to watch or do in my medicated stupor. Which, and this is the one thing <laughs> I would have told you, no, you do not watch this while you were sick. And this is when the, we had the big projector screen. Yep. And so I lounged in a beanbag, wrapped myself in a blanket, and put on Paranoia Agent. And as I drifted through levels of consciousness, I have never been that terrified when I could not move. So, so for folks who don't know, Paranoia Agent was Satoshi Khan's uh, anime series mm-hmm. that involves this mysterious, like, teenager on rollerblades called Little Slugger, who's running around beating people to death with a fucking metal baseball bat. It's some dark shit. And it's all about, like, the ways in which people basically give up on their life, and then this horrific thing manifests to beat them to death. And although that sounds like one thing, it goes through all, all these layers, all sorts of commentary in Japanese society. So many iterations. Creativity and it turning dark. It's, oh my god, and then there's the one humorous episode. Where 
it's one of those things where it's like, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. But everyone who's involved, Little Slugger can't fuck with. And it's one of the episodes where, until you get to the end and realize everything, you're like, this is sort of funny. Oh, this was really dark, and I didn't realize it. But it was still sort of funny. Satoshi Kon is is a master of nightmare fuel. Uh, His movie, Perfect Blue. Nope. Uh, Nope. Nope. My favorite is Paprika. Nope again. I was in anime club in high school when they showed us Perfect Blue, and I said, the hell you say. Perfect Blue. The hell you say. It was his first project that he got to direct. That shit was dark. That, ooh. And you know what's amazing? He, it wasn't like they planned for it. Someone else was supposed to do a different movie, and some shit happened. They're like, we have this budget. We need to make a movie. Here, do it. And he's like, okay. And this is what he came up with. Wow. Um, describe Perfect Blue for the people who don't know, because Perfect Blue is some... Um, God, it's been It's about since stalking I and celebrity... And, like, your own, like, the projection of who you are as a celebrity taking on its own life and coming after you. And it's yeah. just like, yeah, it's fucked. It's, it's fucked. Rough. It's a mind fucked. It definitely has, like, some sexist elements. There's no denying that. Yeah. Trigger warnings galore. Um, it's a v- trigger warnings for, like, mm, implied sexual assault in, epi- in parts. I, there, yeah. Um, yeah. Just a lot of stuff. It's a great mindfuck movie, but not everyone can handle it. I couldn't handle it when I watched it. I only w- could get through it because I was sitting with friends, and I've never, ever rewatched it since high school. But yeah, Perfect I, Blue is the hardest of his in yeah. terms of just raw shit. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Did I watch Paprika? Which one is Paprika? It's the dream one. Oh, is that... Th- it's the one in which um, uh, the... They have a machine that lets people start doing therapy through dreams. Oh! Dreams start coming to coming life. to life and taking off. Yes, no, dark, dark. That one actually ended fairly cheerful, despite I the mean levels of cheerful for him. Yes, cheerful. I feel like you have to qualify these things. It's like when what's his name came out with a YA book, um, Joe Amber- Abercrombie, and I was like, YA for him, right. like for him. It's still got a huge level of violence. Like, you're still getting the same author. Like, right. let's not play. Yeah, it's... Satoshi Khan's so good. It's yeah. Locked up. But, uh... Let's see. I can't... I have to talk about Silent Hill. Oof, you on your own. Um, so, some people only know Silent Hill for the movies, but the video games... I've stayed away from all of it, because I know what I can handle and what I can't handle, and that is firmly on the side of can't. Silent Hill is just, like, people usually get into, um, like, people got really into Resident Evil because of the zombies, Mm -hmm. and it'll give you a ton of zombies and all that kind of stuff, but Silent Hill, it's not tons of monsters, it's that you're never feeling safe, because things could basically... They always did this thing about having fog and having things around that could basically jump you. And all the characters are slightly off. And, you know, there's a ton of fan theories, and most of them basically revolve around the idea that the town itself is either demonically corrupt or a purgatory. Mm -hmm. And so the reason, like, they're like, everyone's off is because no one is fully alive. Like... I, yeah, I never tried with that. I don't do 
well with movies that do movies or games that do like the jump surprise. I can deal with a lot of like stuff in horror films, but I don't do well with like everything's going to jump out of corners for you. I'm like, no, I don't like this. My heart can only take so much. Well, it's not even that they jump out as much as that they keep up on you. Well, no, that's, it's that's that like the characters play. turn and all of a sudden they're there because they've slowly been moving up behind you the whole time. No, unnecessary. And, and probably in line with that is Fatal Frame. Yeah, again, all you. <laughs> I never Frame. played it. Fatal Frame games are uh, Japanese uh, Japanese horror games where you fight ghosts by taking pictures of them. Yes, I've heard of these. I just chose not I to. just explain for the audience <laughs> because, you know, people might want to know. And the thing is, when you go to take your pictures, it goes to first-person view. And so you do more damage the closer and better picture you get of this thing. Mm-mm, and they do mm-mm. one thing in the game, one of them that's real fucked up because you have to go to these books to go to your save points. Well, one of them, you go to the save point and basically they don't let you save. A ghost shows up right when you're trying to save. Uh-uh. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> I say nope to that. I say nope. Um, that is too much for me. Uh, it, I felt the same with the Resident Evil video games. I could never play them. There was just too much jumping. Although, I love the Resident Evil films. I think they are nightmare fuel in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because they have tried to push it harder and harder with each movie, and I'm like, oh, these movies are so bad, let me go on opening night and give me my 3D glasses. <laughs> I don't care. They're weird zombies. They're, like, horrible psychic powers, and I love it all. Um, it's probably the most trashiest Nightmare Fuel series out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Fatal Frame, stuff of that nature I never watched. It was too much for me. I never played it. Yeah. Uh, Oh, wait. Persona. You know, it's funny. I never felt Nightmare Fuel from Persona, even though these stories are horrifically traumatic. Right? Like... I mean, the whole thing is to, like, summon your warriors. You have to make a teenager swallow a bullet. That's only one of the Persona games. But still. Persona 3, your characters summon their their magical spirits by shooting themselves in the head. It's like, and it's like the same intense, like, summoning sequence like you would get from any game. Except it's teenagers throwing... Turning guns on themselves and blowing their heads apart, and then like here it summons, it appears. The, the game that they had before that was Digital Devil Saga, in which case all your characters <laughs> turn into monsters and then they cannibalize the enemies. Again, those hearts aren't eating themselves. Like <laughs> one solution for a invasive problem. <laughs> um, but that I feel like Persona Three, while a great game, is dark. Yeah. It's dark as fuck. Yeah. Um, um, okay. So, so, in the 90s, I watched a lot, I watched all the way through Evangelion. Woof. You did better than I did. You know, at the time, there really wasn't a lot of good giant robot options. Mm. And it started off really good with giant robots, and I actually like this idea of, like, the literal angels being, like, these horrific things that we have to fight off. Like, that's kind of fun. Um, but, you know, basically Evangelion was the series where the director was working out his childhood issues mm. on screen. And I don't really feel most people should do that. Yeah. Like, you might make 
one. I, I'll give people. You get to make one movie. You don't go over two hours with your issues. I don't want to see more than two hours of your issues. But well, why are your issues so important? Right. But you know, basically, what started off as giant robots turned out to be a giant troll move because the entire uh, the entire uh, series was just him working through his issues, and it was a head fuck to a level. And then they did the movies afterwards. The movies are beyond. Like, there is no words for the levels of horrific shit that go on in those movies. Like, and it's not even, like, like just violence. It's just, like, it's all mindfuck shit. Like, mm. like people are biomorphing. Um, humanity is being subsumed into an enlightenment by exploding into pools of blood. Like, Ooh. just off-the-wall shit just goes down. You're just like, I... I, what am I watching? Yeah. Oh. Uh, oh. But cat suit. Oh my god! This, <laughs> this this thing. We mentioned this. I feel like on Nerdgasm Noir. It is utterly ridiculous. It is a forty-five minute, forty to forty-five minute film, something like that. Yeah. I think it's online. I don't know. It might be. You could probably find Check it. Check YouTube. Might not be up there, but just in case. It's definitely one of those things where it starts off, it looks like it's going to be all Sanrio cute, and the very first thing that happens is one of the characters dies, and her brother has to fight with death to get her soul back, and tears her soul in half. Like, that already just happening. What is happening? Creatures explode, and characters get sliced into deli meat. God cuts the world in half. God cuts the world in half. And who doesn't want soup? But that movie is the most... uh, It's like the guys who created H.R. Puffin stuff. Like, extended that acid trip into anime. It's so ridiculous and amazing at the same time. What's great is there was an interview with one of the animators, and he was like, we were drawing this. We asked the director, is it okay for us to draw this? And the director said, don't worry, I'll fix it in editing. But he lied. <laughs> he lied. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's fucked up. You drew it, and you're freaked out. You're like, what the fuck did we make? <laughs> but, you know, it's an excellent little piece of, like, artistry. <laughs> um, I'd rather watch it than, like, a Nicole Kidman film. Well, okay. (laughs) I mean, that's damning it with faint praise. It's actually really, really good. I'd rather watch it than a lot of things. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Anything else you want to throw in? (sighs) Nightmare Fuel. (sighs) Do you remember this show? Oh, my God. And I don't think they have it on DVD, and it's one of the things that hurts my heart. Are you afraid of the dark? I never saw the show, but I remember that was coming on. Oh, my God. So, for those of you in our listeners who remember this, feel that nostalgia with me. Are You Afraid of the Dark was a horror anthology series for teens mm-hmm. on Nickelodeon, where it was about a bunch of kids that would sneak out of their houses after dark, gather around a campfire, and tell each other horrible stories. And then be like, and it was always started with like them throwing something on the fire that turned it another color, and they'd be like, "Are you ready for the tale of <laughs> the dark blah da da da?" I don't know, whatever they said. 
Um, and that shit was dark. I remember an episode. Okay, I'm gonna say I'm 70% sure this is an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode, and I might be a little unsure that it might be like a Goosebumps episode, but either way, it's terrifying. Um, and it's a story about, yeah. it's a story about, um, kids going trick-or-treating, and two of their friends who have moved out of town recent or recently coming back. And, like, there's been a string of missing children things happening, and they're going trick-or-treating with their old friends, and there's, like, myths that, like, aliens are eating, abducting the children to eat them, and blah, blah, blah. And it turns into this, like, terror-filled night where they're running from people, they're running from this person who turns out to be just a normal guy who's, like, a fucking, not a normal guy, like a fucking sociopath. Oh, well, okay, but at least human sociopath. Human sociopath. But then the big reveal at the end is that their friends were the aliens all along, and they have been eating children. And they're like, you know, thank God we filled up before we came and saw you two. And they're like, don't eat all that candy. You don't want to get, like, big and, like, delicious or something. Wow. It's just the most... It was the most, and it was a lot. And Are You Afraid of the Dark was a nightmare fuel for a lot of us, I think. I feel like I was always felt like a little safe because I feel like the majority of the people that suffered in that were white because that was the majority of the cast. So I was like, well, it ain't happening to me or in my neighborhood, so I feel a little bit safe. But I'm, it was still horrific. Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, I love Pan's Labyrinth. So it's good. so good and so horrifying. Yeah. I mean, it's horrifying on a number of levels. Number one, you get, like, the imagery of, like, the monstrous things, the eating of the fairies, like, all that The dark. shoes. The shoes. The shoes. The all, shoes. Ugh. All this horrific, fucked up stuff. But then on top of that, you have, like, the everyday cruelty of, like, fascism. And, and abusiveness. And abusiveness. Right. This abusive father. Or father figure. He's not actually uh, yeah. Ophelia's father. And not even really her stepfather because he's, he doesn't ever treat her like a daughter. No, he doesn't. He treats her like shit. Um, and it ends... Oh, I don't like how it ends, personally, but I feel like I know why it ends that way. And I understand. I'm a softie at heart in some ways, and so I'm like, when I see a young girl go through so much, I want her to, like, win in the end, quote-unquote. And she did, but also... Yeah, well, I don't think she was going to do too well in this world, the way that shit was going, no, no matter what. Like, this is true. I just, you know, I always wanted it to be a better ending. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Pan's Labyrinth is a great fucking film. Yeah. And I... Yeah. Yeah. Um, Requiem for a Dream. Oh my god. I hate, I hate that movie. I hate that movie. I hate that movie. That really valid. people either they either really enjoy it or they really hate it. That's how I that think. Movie works. I think it's like a greatly acted film in a lot of ways. I would never ever watch it again. I think it's so horrible. It's that is nightmare fuel for sure. That yeah. is like the oh. Uh, it's basically oh. several people cascading into terrible addiction, uh, and sort of like watching how they all become unhinged from reality. 
oh my god, the things that happen in that movie. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's it's like reading one of those non-fiction books where you can't believe how horrible someone's life is, and then things get keep getting more horrible because you're only a quarter of a way through the book. Yeah. And that's what that movie feels like, where you're like, it can't get worse, but I'm only 30 minutes in. Yeah. So something is going to get worse, and I don't understand how. Like, oh, it just, it goes, it goes so bad. Yeah. Oh, talk about nightmares. Uh, um, yeah, I can't think of anything else that was nightmare fuel for me. Okay. Well, then we can go into... I feel like Pan's Labyrinth almost triggered something. Oh, you know what? Um, the... Adaptation of uh, Stephen King's uh, The Fog, The Mist, oh, yeah, the, yeah, mist. Yeah, yeah, the Mist, The Mist. That was actually quite good, and I feel like it was quite good. Unlike usually when I really want the happy ending. Um, some. So, so, are you talking about the original story or the adaptation that you liked the most, liked more? The right? adaptation, because okay. that had the darker ending. Yes, because that was the thing I was going to say. I, gen, generally, I like a happy ending. I like a joyful ending. I felt that way at the end of the Mist movie. But at the same time, I was like, oh, that hurts so good that I'm so glad you went there. Um, for those who don't know, the Mist is a short story, I want to say, by King, maybe yeah, a novella. Yeah. Um, but it's about the city taken over by Mist creatures. And the novella's pretty straightforward, I feel like. I I just can't really stand King. Like, I really don't like his stories. Because I feel like it's always like, perfect thing happens, okay. Someone becomes culty or weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, alright, alright, alright. And then, people decide to have sex at the weirdest time. That's the part that always throws me. It's like, well, since now we're trapped on the lake and the oil monster's eating everything, how about we have sex? No! Well, sometimes you want to die in the throes of passion rather than the throes of fear. You know what? If you're going to die either way, might as well go out with a bang. Literally and figuratively. There you go. (laughs) But King wrote some great stuff, I think, before the Coke years. And even some good stuff after the Coke years. But The Mist is one of those stories where it's very odd that King doesn't go all the way. The adaptation goes all the way. Um, I don't want to spoil the ending for anyone who hasn't seen it. But, oh, who cares? Mute the next 20 seconds if you don't want to, like, know. So basically, they're all trapped in a car. There's five survivors. They're driving out of the mist. They can't see an end to it. Father and son, girl he's attracted to, another couple. He has a few bullets left in the gun. Basically, they all make a pact while the son's asleep. He shoots all of them in the head, including his son, runs out of bullets for himself, and that's when the army comes through to rescue them. That is such a great ending. It almost makes me want a sequel that's just like a Gus Van Sant sequel. Just from the father's point of view. Like, just the kind of movie that Gus Van Sant does of slow, someone slowly descending into madness. Like, I just want that film. Oh, oh, okay, here's another thing. It's not really nightmare fuel for me, but I get why it is for most people. Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan is nightmare fuel. 
that shit, listen, you get one episode in. Like, anyone who thinks anime is just, like, a fun cartoon, one episode, and they're just like, what? What? Why is, why is that, why is the mother being lifted up? No! No! What are you doing? Like, it, uh, by the end of that first episode, you're like, oh, shit, this is not a game. This is not fun. This is some fucked up shit. And the thing is, you really think that you can't get more fucked up? Until you get deeper into the series. And the deeper you get, the more you're like, but no! But no! But, oh, Jesus, I need to watch more because I need all the answers. That shit gets worse and worse and better and better at the same time. Yeah. I really got to give props to the creator of Attack on Titan. It's one of the few shows that I'm just like, oh, I can't stop watching even though every episode makes me hurt so much for everyone. (laughs) Oh, God. And you know what? Also props for being one of the few um, cartoons or, like, sci-fi fantasy things that actually tackles PTSD. Because those kids are fucked up. And they, we are aware that they are fucked. They are aware that they are fucked. Like, they have seen some shit. Nothing is hunky-dory anymore and never has been. And, like, it is one of the few shows, I feel like, that tackles that in the way it should. Like, so many of these shows, when you look at it just, like, objectively, you're like, everyone on this show should be suffering from PTSD. Like, every... Like, shows like Teen Wolf, where you're like, every week their lives are in danger. How many of their friends have died? How many times have they almost died? Like, how much therapy must they need? Like, (laughs) Attack on Titan at least is like, yeah, they all need it, and they're not getting it, and it's fucked. And you're yeah. like, all right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, do you feel we've covered a nightmare feel pretty decently? I feel like we have. All right. Should we go on to the next? Ugh, I made a decision on what, what my why must be must be, and I just don't feel good about it right now. Well, I can go ahead and start with mine. Yeah, you go first, and then I'll figure it out. So my why must it be... So, you know, I'm sharing all this anime and manga with friends, and, like, I'll have a really awesome story, and then I'll remember, oh, and then now you hypersexualize a child in this. For no reason, no mm. need. Like, I mean, when, when is there a need or a reason yeah. to hypersexualize a child? But it's just like, holy fuck, this character shows up in brief parts, there's no reason they should be half-naked, there's no reason we need to have a shower seat. It's just like, why did you throw R. Kelly into a perfectly <laughs> fucking fine story. Oh, the story was Kelly. fine, and then you R. Kelly'd it. Why oh my god. And I'm just so angry, because it's like one of those things where I'm like, uh, you hit the accept button on so much bullshit in anime. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, alright, yes, the women have giant titties, and they're gonna bounce around every time. You just hit the accept button on so many things, and it's like, can it just not be children? Can we just... Not do that. Like, God. Yeah. Yeah. I I support this wholeheartedly. I remember when I was first getting into anime, I was looking for, like, queer anime or, like, gay anime because I was like, I want to see, like, some stuff that's not het. And some of the stuff that I ended up watching because it was recommended to me, I was like, no, no, no. No, no, no. This is about a child going tr- to prison and being, like, horribly abused. 
That's not what I asked for. That's never what I would ask for. Right. Um, yeah, no. I, I don't understand that, and it... I mean, it just irritates... What, what gets me about is that it's so mainstream. Yeah. That's what it is. It's because if you look on the internet, you could find horrific shit of anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even talking about, like, sites dedicated to porn, but I'm like, you could read fanfic and you can find all kinds of fucked up Oh, shit. yeah, for sure. And, of course, just even in writing, there's people who will do some fucked up shit. But I'm just sort of like, this is everywhere. Why? Yeah. Why? And I'm just like, it's not even people who are like, you're in your late teens, and I understand your age of consent's a little different in something. Nope, that's a kid. That yeah. is a kid. What the fuck is wrong with you? It's not like you're reading something from the UK where, like, 16 is the age, and, like, it's a 16-year-old and a 19-year-old or something. Right, I mean... You're, you know, like, you're reading something where you're like, this person is clearly a child. Why is this happening? Right. And why is no one having an issue with this? Right. Right. It's just, ugh. Yeah. Ugh. And it's also when you realize, like, how many things had to go through how many editors, and, like, it has to go through a lot of hands, and it also has to an audience, and, like, is no one upset by that? Like, everyone's just okay? Oh, is this how it... Fuck you. Just yeah. fuck you. Yeah. Well, that's real. Yeah. So, I... I have figured out what my rage is. So many rages to choose from. This is a rage I don't believe I've ever talked about it on the podcast before. I feel like I've definitely talked about it on Twitter. And if you've met me in person, I've probably talked about it too. Um, It's a trope that I have been finding much more prevalent in my science fiction and fantasy, especially in the YA with a female protagonist. And that is slavery. That is a young girl that, for whatever reason, usually they don't make it raced because they don't want to get too close to race. Not when you're talking about slavery. Lord knows, because those two aren't connected. Um, And so they're talking about, um, you know, this person is a witch, or they're a demon, or they're an alien, or they just come from a culture that, like, has these weird, like, ownership relationships until a certain age or something like that. So, like, that's a problem. Like, that's just straight up a problem. Because here it is. It's not that any of these stories, it's not that any of the plots are, hey, this is a fucked up system that this person got embroiled in. They're going to rebel against it. They're going to fight against it. They're going to do something and, like, join the resistance, fuck shit up, whatever. Like, that I could be good with. I like a good resistance story. I like a good, like, fighting off the oppressor story. But it's the fact that inevitably, almost 100% of the time, these girls fall in love with the man who has enslaved them. Yeah. Now, when we think about slavery, and we think about consent... Your head should explode just a little bit because those two things don't go together. They can't coexist. You can't own someone and then like have them consent to be your girlfriend. Like because the fact that you own them means they can't consent to anything. Yes. And this is I don't understand 
how this trope became so normative, how this became the story that we all want to, well, not we all don't, I don't want to hear it, but that gets published so much. This actually ties into what, about what I was just saying, though. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing, I, I was watching all this anime, and the shit that I was thinking about last time is the fact that people work this into their narratives because they have their fuckboy fucked up thing. Mm-hmm. And instead of it like, well, I own you, I get to have sex with you. It's like, through this finagled-ass society, ownership's okay, and I happen to own you because I'm better than the other slave masters. And they yes. love me, and so they're, therefore it's not me raping you, it's because you want it. Oh, you're an, a child who's hypersexualized because you want to be sexualized, and you're coming after me. I'm not coming after you. It's just like, yeah, okay. No. This is your issue. Like, you're right. It's, it's, it's definitely part of that, and it's also the fact that, like, the man who is the slave owner is almost always portrayed as, like, well, he doesn't really want to own slave. It's the culture that's forcing him, or he's doing his best to protect her. Then why aren't you part of the resistance? They're why almost hasn't she been freed. Why hasn't she been freed? You almost these boys are almost always part of the aristocracy. Why aren't you fermenting rebellion? Why aren't you trying to save people? Why aren't you doing something instead of being an emo moper and being like, oh. I think slavery is bad, but I'm going to let it happen. And look, the cute slave girl's going to fall in love with me. And that's when I decide slaves are humans. Like, fuck you. Fuck you for using that narrative to, like, justify some fucked up Stockholm Syndrome romance. And if you need someone to hop on your dick to be human, what does that say about you? What does that say about you? Like, I feel like this narrative is just so prevalent. And this is not... This is not saying don't write about slavery or... I mean, I I sort of is, actually. As it came out of my mouth, I was like, "Mm." hmm. No, no, no. It's don't write about slavery making slavery okay or tolerable. There you go. That's what it is. We're supposed to feel that these quote-unquote slave masters who deal with the burden. They're tolerating it. They're celebrating it. They're, rele- they're reveling in it, regardless of their whining. It doesn't matter. That's the problem, is that the the story itself isn't critical of slavery. And it's the thing is, like, it's not just, and slavery it's, is the main point, but it's not just, it's apologetic. And it also happens in a lot of these dystopians, a lot of these oppressive societies. The girl's in love with a guy who's a representative of the oppressive society. She doesn't fall in love with the friend who's also in the resistance. She doesn't get involved with... She doesn't not have a romance at all. Because, hey, maybe when you're fighting for liberation, you ain't got time for that. Maybe you... Maybe at 15, when your parents are murdered and you're trying to fight and, like, make sure that shit runs right, you ain't got time to, like, be confused over your love... Love apathy or whatever. This is one of the reasons I actually love the first two books of The Hunger Games. Because Katniss is completely... All the romance is about manipulating the public to believe what they want to believe to help her in the end. And I fucking love that. Mm. But these narratives of, like, this young girl who, like, falls for an oppressive member of society, it's about being apologetic for an oppressive society. Because if this boy is not that evil, then, hey, maybe some other people in the society weren't that bad. Maybe these all these people who were oppressing you weren't that bad. It's basically a way to make the dominant culture feel better. Look, 
there's one or two of you that were okay, so that means maybe a bunch of you were okay, even if you were fucking participating in this oppression, it's all okay, because one or two of you didn't really like participating, you just did it because it was the thing to do. Well, fuck you. Like, that is the, I hate that storyline. I hate that it's becoming prevalent. Thank God there are some people who are pushing against it. But these narratives of, like, huge power imbalances between the romantic leads and then it's never really addressed. Right. Just give me some YA with with a woman lead that doesn't have a romance. Just give me that. I asked for that on my Twitter today, and I got some suggestions, but honestly, not as many as I should. Mm-hmm. Um, there should be a whole host of books with a young girl in the lead where there is no romance, because there are a whole host of books with young men in the leads where there are no romance. Mm-hmm. There are a whole host of books where young men's in the leads where you meet, like, one female character in 350 fucking pages. You know, what's really interesting is a lot of those stories when you have the male protagonist who's the one who has less social power Mm -hmm. and say they fall in love with a princess or a queen. Notice, they still end up dominant. They still end up dominant. They become king. Even if they're not royal blood, it's like, oh, but you know, he's proved himself to be a hero and so he will succeed. So he ends up usurping her power Uh and becoming more powerful than her. What the hell? That, That is a constant... And it drives me crazy. Yeah. I don't mind people playing with power dynamics. I don't mind people playing with romance. Or, but if you're going to play with it, play with it. Don't fall into this trope of like defending the dominant culture while trying to tear it down and just reifying it in the end, which is exactly what Hunger Games did. So, yeah, I'm going to stop there because, you know. Angry. Yeah. I'm angry and I could rant forever in a day. Um, do we need to do shout-outs? Um, what's some shout-outs? Do you have some shout-outs? Well, we uh, have Nerdgasm We Noir. always shout-out Nerdgasm Noir, which are always amazing. 8-Bit Animal, doing awesome stuff. 8-Bit um, Animal, um, The Read, which is a great podcast. Um, Metis in Space, which is a great podcast mm-hmm. about two Native women, like, watching fucked-up Native representations and drinking wine and talking about it. Nice. Um, I appreciate that. Um, Black Girls Talking, which is a great one. Um, and I think that's it for me. Yeah, it's late and my brain's not Yeah, my brain isn't working. I've been looking for a good, uh, queer podcast, though. So if anyone has any suggestions, hit us up in our email inbox. Again, that's yellowperil.magicalnegro at gmail.com. Yeah. We're good. We got Nightmare Fuel and our anger. Nightmare Fuel and our anger. And wait, next week we are doing... Do we have the thing yet? Let's do the Invader Zim episode next week. How yes. does that feel? We'll have to watch some before we start. I'll have to rewatch the whole the whole series. Alright. What a chore. Invader Zim it is. Invader Zim it is. Alright. Catch y'all later. Bye.